Thanks for listening to this message from The Block KC. The Block KC exists to help young adults build their lives on what counts. We believe that is Jesus and what God has revealed in His Word. We'd love to see you next Thursday, 7 p.m. at Lenexa Baptist Church. Now, let's listen to this week's message. KC, what's going on? Hey, what's going on? Good to see you guys. Good to see some new faces. Good to see your familiar faces too, guys. That's okay. It's good to see you. Hey, uh, my name's Luke Hoagland, uh, one of the directors here at The Block. Um, So good. I love being here on Thursdays with you guys, getting the opportunity to speak, um, talk about some real stuff uh, here at The Block. So so happy you are here. Uh, New series, like Charlie said, it is called Real Life. Not sure if that's Mario in the middle or not. I don't think it is. New series, real life. And so what's true of a room right here, a bunch of 20-somethings in that area, none of us are settled in life yet. Not much of us are settled in where we are at in life. And they're because of real life reasons, right? Where you got new opportunities, we're blazing into new pastures and territories with things that we're doing. Some of y'all just moved here to Kansas City. That's awesome. So happy you're here. Welcome to Chief's Kingdom. You're in the right place to be. And, uh, and some of y'all are, are shipping off somewhere. You're going elsewhere. We're, we're happy that you got a cool opportunity. We hope to have you back. You come back anytime. So, uh, but that's where we're at in life. And this series is going to be how do we live real life in the real world? And I remember, maybe you remember or, or talk about it right now, you have post-high school and really post-college, and we talk about it as the real world. I don't know if you guys did that or spoke in that way. That's, that's kind of how I always spoke of it growing up. Uh, it's this understanding that before I'm in the real world, I'm in this place, I'm in this season, that things aren't going to be this way for a very long time. And I'm looking forward to there's going to be a time where things are like real, things are actual, like it's probably looking forward to making money, having stuff show up in your bank account every once in a while. It's, I'm in this season of life, but it's just a season, and I'm waiting for the real thing. And so if it's high school, you had your friends, you had your family, you had sports, you had different things, graduate senior year, and you're headed off, and you you say, you bid adieu to all of your family, all your friends, the people you don't want to see anymore, and you go off to college, and you get this greater sense of real life. And then you're in college, and, and you have your social life, endless time for it, and you're studying, all of that, it's all gone, and you walk across a stage, or you walk across a Zoom call, and, and the next thing you know, that is all in the past. And it's time to start over, and it's time to figure things out in a new way, all sorts of new responsibility. So even if you're in college, if you're beyond college, the series is about how it's the right time right now to learn how to live this real spiritual life in the real world. So the landmark verse for our series is Galatians 5.13. We're going to throw it up on the screen here. Uh, Read with me. It says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh or for your sinful desires, but through love serve one another. So how as maturing people, we've got all these new freedoms, all these new ways that we're growing to become independent in life. How can we live in such a manner that is going to be good for others, that's going to be good for ourselves, and it's going to be a life that's pleasing to our creator? And there is a problem. While independence and freedom, it's attractive, 
It's a really good thing. It can be a really good thing. It doesn't go well for us. Freedom and independence does not go well for people. And we see it all the time in so many ways. First time you had a sleepover with your friends. Did it go good? How did it go? Maybe it went great for you. I have no idea. It's, gone, it's always gone horrible for me, not even the first time, all of the times. It always began with a trip to Walmart for like 20 packages of Little Debbies, and we would eat all of them over the entire night, and we'd binge video games, we'd binge anything you could think of. And it's like this sense of independence that was just abused and used terribly, and you feel terrible for days. And girls, I don't know what you did on sleepover. You talk about boys till 4 a.m. That's probably <laughs> what happened. So you guys know about the freshman 15 Maybe the freshman 40, this is not to, nope, not to shame anyone who put on 40 pounds. The freshman year, we get this sense of independence. You get a meal pass, which is really just all-you-can-eat buffet for two semesters straight. Is that a good idea for a freshman in college? Uh, yeah, it sounds nice. It's, it's not a great idea. This, we don't have responsibility and wisdom entering into greater independence sometimes. Maybe it's your first room or your first place outside of your parents' house. Did it look Okay. Was it pretty? It was not. It had, mine had 200 empty bottles of water under it, under my bed. You know, it's like, that happens for all the guys. Yeah, uh, you just, you toss it over the bed and you, you know, six months later, you're like, I got to clean this up. Um, there was a financial company, Prudential, you guys may have heard of it, they're big time. Uh, they did a study on 4,000 millennials and Gen Zers. And Prudential being a financial company, they have access to all of these people's accounts, their credit cards, their bank accounts. And they did this study on millennials and Gen Z, and they found out that 49% of millennials and Gen Z are relying on carrying credit card debt to keep up their lifestyle. Half of the demographic here is relying on credit card debt to keep up a lifestyle they're living. 42% of them, so really about 25% of millennials and Gen Zers are relying on family and relatives to pay their bills. All these people are making money. These are people who are, have jobs, they have incomes. What they don't have is self-control. What they don't have is budgeting. They have all of the freedom and independence you could ever want, but really they don't have any of the freedom that they're desiring financially. They, they don't have it. And lastly, we've mentioned this a number of times Times. Experts are saying over and over again, studies keep showing that we as a society are less social than we've ever been. So like, props to you guys for even being here in the room tonight. Like, this is more social than the average millennial Gen Zer gets. Like, this, this type of room is an intimidating thing to our society. So props to you for taking a step of faith in some way and coming here and being here. And what's true is on college campuses, people are partying less or like, maybe yay, maybe that's, that's a good thing. They're not doing anything. Instead of partying, they're isolating. They're staying in and doing nothing. They got virtual experiences. They're staying online. They're not eager to meet people or to make friends, but they're isolating and they're hurting. Not only on campuses, in the real world, there's remote and virtual work happening. Many of you have these jobs. I have one. I don't know hardly any of my coworkers. And, and thankfully, I don't, I don't work, you know, crazy, crazy hours. Some of y'all do. And all of your hours are with these people that you don't know. Like, like, we have these freedoms. Is it making us better or more free or happy? And even individuals and families. Lastly, 
They're busier than ever. They're busy with sports. They're busy with travel. They're busy with travel for sports. They're, they're remote working from home and, and this freedom that both parents can now work from home. It's a great thing financially, but they're working crazy hours and we don't make time for our families. People are spending less and less time with their kids. And these are the trends. These are just the trends. This is not me like telling you to not ever do any of these things. You might fall into one of these categories, not at all to shame you, but we have these things. We have social media and we're becoming less social. We have freedoms, but we're not experiencing freedom. It's a part of my story by the grace of God. I, I came to know Jesus and trust in him right before my senior year of high school. And what that ended up being for me, thankfully, college was this time of just immense spiritual growth in my life and change. And God did all sorts of things in my heart to where, like, I, I'm, a, I'm a new person. I, I love Jesus. I live for him. I made friends. There's still some of my best friends today that I walk with. And we, we have community. A guy named Bob discipled me for four years. He taught me how to follow Jesus, how to read the word. Amazing things. And I'm so thankful. I graduate college, come back to Kansas City. It's time to look for a job. And so I, I hit up one of my, my friends. I say, can I get lunch with your dad? He's a, like, executive at a local company. And his dad, you know, I know him personally. I just don't have his number. He agrees to get lunch with me at Joe's KC. And, um, and so we get out lunch, and he goes, man, how was college? And I, I kind of just go through that, what I just, just said. I was, man, it was amazing. Like, I'm a new, you saw me in high school. I'm a new person now, and it's all, it's glory to God, man. God's done something in my heart and life, and I'm so thankful and he started to reflect on his own son. His own son went to a different college, and what happened with this greater independence going off to college, some true colors started to show. His dad's words, he said, my son is a drunk. Many broken relationships in and out of his life. Different girl brought home for many holidays. And he got a couple business connections and a decent GPA, but that's all college had to show for him, and I'll never forget how he ended kind of talking through all that. He said, but that's just college. Everyone comes back around to faith someday. I was dumbfounded. I was like, what are you talking about? Everyone comes back around to faith someday. Have you looked at the world? Have you seen what people are doing? Have you seen the brokenness in this world all around us? What do you mean we all eventually come back around? Don't you, have you heard of sin, how it deserves death and punishment? Have you heard of the name of Jesus? I, our, our business connection meeting quickly turned to me sharing the gospel, kind of in like, a, like what is happening right now? Like this, I, I went to church with this guy growing up. He needs the gospel, and I'm sharing the gospel with this guy. We need a savior to rescue us from this lifestyle that we're just prone to go after and to follow. So Jesus ascended. He went to heaven. He gave us the Holy Spirit so that right now, right here in this life, we can learn to live a self-controlled, righteous, upright, spiritual life, pleasing to God. And, and what I didn't know is that that would be the first of many similar conversations. It's more than just my friend's dad. It was another close friend's dad. It was that close friend, it was some f former church friends, it would be one of my closest friends. This is the trend. Like we see these society trends, this is also a trend of life and of sinful 
nature. God told us this. He's told us it a dozen times, dozens and dozens of times in the New Testament. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Uh, the book of Hebrews talks about if we're not paying close attention to truth and to God, we will fall away from it. If you're not paying close attention, you're going to fall away. And so to fight this trend, we have to know that we are responsible. This, isn't, this is not scare tactic, get your life in order. This is just the truth. I'm presenting the facts. We have to fight the trend. God's been gracious and good. Like, it doesn't stop there. God is gracious and good, and he's told us in his word how to fight this trend. How do we live this life that we grow and we're rooted and we become somebody, we become someone who lives a real spiritual life in the real world and we're going to talk about that in this series. The first one tonight, it's, it's the reason many of you showed face tonight. It's the reason some of you come every single week. We're going to talk about community. And God's call and his good plan for all of us is not that we would just go figure out this life alone. It's not for you to become this amazing spiritual pillar that everyone can look at and that you did that all yourself. No, it's God is going to help you, give you hope, love you, restore you through people around you. That's the call, and he's going to use you to do the same thing in other people's lives. And no better night for it. We got the luau. We got opportunity to rub shoulders, get to know one another before we get to the party and all of that. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for just these nights, these people showing up uh, and God, what is just true, and I know it, is that even coming here is a step of faith for some people. And God, I just pray that tonight would help all of us in this room take that next step of faith, God, and that we would rely on you to bring good things into our life. God, and trust you that you're going to do that through a room like this and through people like us. It's amazing. It's a privilege. God, I ask this tonight, you speak through me, you work in hearts, things that I say that don't make sense, God, they would just fall flat, and your heart would just come through. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Galatians chapter 6. If you've got your Bible, join me there. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 6. Uh, the letter was written by the Apostle Paul to churches in Galatia. Galatia is a place, it's modern day Turkey, and, uh, and Paul has been there, Paul he had just previously been there, and he had shared the gospel for the first time. Like, people didn't know about Jesus. He told them about Jesus in this place. He said that you can be saved by faith in Jesus, by his grace alone. You don't have to keep the law, but you can be saved because he lived the law perfectly. And that can be credited to you as righteousness. He preached that gospel, and then he left. And what happened is false preachers came in after him, and they started preaching other things. They said, no, you got to be perfect. You got to keep the whole law. They said things like, you got to be circumcised. They said, you need to be perfect and you need to hold everyone to that perfect standard. That is how you can be saved. And that flew in the face of everything Paul said, flows in the, flew in the face of the true gospel. Paul said that by faith in Jesus alone, we can be saved and matured as Christians and live this new life pleasing to God. In this new life pleasing to God, yes, it is still in our body and we sin, but it has been made spiritually alive. This is what it means when you talk about born-again Christians. You're made spiritually alive. You were born another time. You were spiritually dead, made alive with Christ. 
and to live this new spiritual life. In chapter 5, right before we're at, uh, in chapter 6, chapter 5 ends with Paul giving some baseline guidance. What does it mean to live this life? And he says, we don't walk in the former ways that we once walked. We don't walk according to our own understanding and according to our own desires, but we walk by the Spirit, by following God in every moment, every hour of our lives. And this is made possible because Jesus' sacrifice made relationship with God possible through faith in him. We can have this relationship moment by moment, walking by the Spirit. That's where we're at. Galatians 6, verse 1. Read with me. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Point number one tonight is real community is a place where people are restored. Real community is a place where people are restored. So God's heart for all of us, after we sin and we're gonna, we're gonna sin. You're guilty of sin, you're gonna be guilty of sin and his heart for you in those moments, meaning when you trespass, meaning when you cross a line that God told you that you should never cross, his heart is that your spiritual community around you would draw near and restore you. God's gonna work in your life through the people around you. And this idea of restore, restore, it's bringing someone back to a place that they were previously. It says that they were in this place where they were healthy, something happened, they sinned, they trespassed, let's bring them back. And it's really language that's talking about, it was used often to talk about fishermen who are mending their nets. So when a fisherman's net is broken, they pull it up out of the water, up onto the boat, and they realize there's a tear in it. And a net that has a tear in it, no good for nothing. And what do you do? You have that net that's broken. You don't throw it back out into the water and expect anything good to happen. It didn't work already because it's broken. It's not going to work again because it's still broken. So what a fisherman would do is they draw that net up. They do it gently, too. They don't want it to catch on anything else. They bring it on board, take the, take the boat over to shore, and then they sit down with that net. And they just look at it closely. What's the damage here? Like, what, what happened? Where, where are we broken? I see the brokenness. And then meticulously and gently and patiently, they mend that net. I don't know how you mend. I don't know what that's it. They mend that net back together. So it's restored. It's back to its rightful place and purpose. Real community is all about restoration. I hope that's what this, we communicate here in this place tonight. It's a place that people are working. They're doing it gently and patiently, but working with hope that you can be restored, that Jesus could come in and restore things and change things. And restoration, it implies that brokenness is present. So a real community, brokenness has to be present. You look at any church, you're like, oh, well, that church is broken. Good. It should be. It needs to be a broken church or else it would be a fake church. A prerequisite for you to have real community is for you to be able to acknowledge your own brokenness. If you want real, genuine community, you have to be broken and open about it. You don't, you don't earn real community by being someone magnificent and then all of a sudden people want to be community with you. No, that's being a celebrity and people don't know you and you don't have relationships. You have to be broken and you're certainly not ever going to find deep community if you don't let down your pride, if you're not okay with people knowing your stuff, 
You can trust God and trust his people. There's no perfect people here. Not one of you is perfect. Just people who need and want and have experienced restoration. I hope we've made that clear here. I hope we have time and time again that that's what this place can be for. Brokenness doesn't scare God. He's actually near to the brokenhearted. Man, you're in a great place if you're broken. God is near. It doesn't scare us either because we know that God is near. And so, I mean, every single week, we've got four or five people up here that would love to pray with you, and they're not expecting you to come forward and make sure you, like, present your life in such a way that you can now, they can now pray for you. No, they want you to bring your brokenness up here. They can pray because they're broken people too. I'm a broken person too. We need to come together in our brokenness and pray for one another. The Connect Center out in the lobby, the whole reason for these things that we do is just to make another opportunity for you to connect, to make that connection, to take that next step so that you can have this real community. We know that we all need it and we're all looking for it. That's what this whole place is designed for. And restoration, it is a spiritual thing. Read with me there. If anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual, can we put those verses back on the slide? Sorry about that. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. This is not saying, hey, all you super Christians, all you awesome ones, make sure you're restoring the rest of them, you pastors. Like, restore the people. It's not saying the, like the, the real awesome Christians in the room, this is your task to do. Paul's saying here, if you call yourself a Christian... If you say that you follow the Holy Spirit, this is your call. That you'd be a person who restores people. So what do we do? And when someone sins, we draw near to them. It is so tempting to distance yourself from someone who sins. Thank God that is not what Jesus did. When we sinned and fell short, Jesus did not stay in heaven and make a new heaven further away from us. No, he he came to earth and drew near and paid for you. So when your friend, person around you in your community sins, you draw near to them, you go up to them, you say, hey, I I need some time. Let's get some time. Let me take you to coffee. Let me buy you coffee. Let's talk about it. Where are you broken? What happened? Man, I get it, dude. I'm broken too. Just empathize with them. Say, man, I, I know I've been guilty of that. I write, even yesterday, I was guilty of this. And, and man, I just I feel for you. And you pray for one another. You come near. You help restore them. You help mend them. You help put them back together. Share, share truth. Point them to Jesus. And then you check in with them. We have to know that this is a gift from God. It's a gift from God to be able to live for such a purpose as this Name some better purposes in the world other than to restore people. This is what you get to be as a Christian, what God gets to use you to do. But we have to watch out really closely. I've felt this. I've been guilty of this. When you're a part of restoring people in your community, sometimes you get a savior complex. You say, man, I restored that person. Like, I brought that person back. That was me. Think, no, man, God is going to use you. And God is using other people to restore you. Glory to our God who works 
to restore us. We've all sinned. We've said this. We've all sinned. We all do sin, and we all will sin, so we all need this gift of restorative, real community around us. Point number two, a real community shares and carries each other's burdens. A real community shares and carries each other's burdens. Read with me in verse two. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Man, I hope you're in here and you're, you're, you're always asking yourself the question, man, what does God want me to do in life? You know, what, what am I called to? Where is God sending me? How is he leading me? That's a great question to ask. There's an answer right here. Bear the burdens of people following Jesus around you. Bear their burdens. Say, man, what's going on? Like, how can I help? How can I be here with you? How can I be praying for you? You don't need to build yourself up to get anywhere in life. You, gotta, you should bear other people's burdens to get somewhere in life. This is related to restoration, like we just talked about. It involves loving your neighbor in more ways than just through their sins and trespasses. I mean, that's a really hard way to love someone when they've, they're guilty and they're sad and depressed. But also to help one another carry heavy things, difficult things in life. This language, uh, so uh, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ is Paul clearly calling back to when people ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? You can see it in Matthew 22. You can read with me, it's on the slides. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So you want to live this life pleasing to God. You want to honor him with what you do. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Simple. And what is something we all do? We all carry our own life burdens. We have to bear our own burdens. And so how do we love others? We have to bear their burdens. If we're going to love them like we love ourselves, we've got to bear their burdens. We have to bear others' burdens. One way I experienced this lately, my wife Bailey and I are in a uh, community group with a couple uh, other couples at our church, a couple couples. And, um, and the whole reason we meet and get together is that we would just be really transparent with one another. Like we, we talk about sins, weaknesses, ways that we struggle. And, and we do this just so that we can get to know one another a lot deeper. Like, you want to love, we want to love each other as deeply as we can. We don't know how to love to the deepest extent all the time, but man, if we know one another deeply, we can love one another deeply. So, so many things come up in this time. Like, people are considering job changes, and you don't have to bear that burden yourself, man. Like, we're here. Tell us about it. Like, what's going on? Yeah, and like, let's, let me help give wisdom if I can, or, or lead you in a direction that God might be leading you. Let's do this thing together. You know, difficult stuff in our families pop up all, all the time. There's, there's, you know, financial stresses and burdens and marital problems, and, and we just communicate to one another that, like, you're not going to do this well alone. We can do this better together. And we believe it. 
And that's what he's saying here. If you know one another deeper and deeper, you know their burdens, you can love them deeper and deeper because you can share their burdens. You can be a part of God lifting them up, carrying their load, and helping them move forward. And this has to be done in humility. There's only one way to do it. You have to be humble if you're going to do it. That next verse says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You think you are something. You think you've, 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 you've risen up to this level that, man, I am something. And I, and I don't actually need to bear other people's burdens. I need other people to be helping me with my burdens. It says you've deceived yourself. You've been deceived by a deceiver or you've deceived yourself. What's going to keep you from obeying and following Jesus in this life? What's going to keep you from finding and experiencing a real restorative community? It's going to be your pride it's going to be that I don't want to air my dirty laundry out to anyone. No one needs to know about my stuff. I'm more important. I fall outside of these commands of Scripture. I, I don't believe it, God. I'm going to keep my stuff to me. I'm not going to trust you with it. You've deceived yourself. I've been deceived before as well. I, I do mortgages for a living. I've talked about this before, which means I'm a loan officer. That's my title. Pretty cool to be an officer. Um, and to be certified legally to do what I do, you have to pass a national exam. So if 2008 happened, it was people that do what I do's fault um, that the recession happened. So they put all these regulations in place so that people who do what I do kind of are checked out and make sure they're not crazy. Um, and so... I'm an awful test taker, terrible test taker, 2.7 GPA from K-State, real proud of myself. Um, I couldn't get a B or better on a test to save uh, my life, and so this test thing was going to be a problem for me. So I did all the studying I possibly could. You go to this testing center, I need a 75% to pass, and uh, right after you finish, the score just pops up, and it's 66, you know, so, oh shoot, you know, and uh, so really not surprised. I leave the testing center. I call my future mortgage boss. I say, hey, man, like, I failed. Uh, his name's A.W. Pickle III, so that's why I was going to go work for him. Sweet name. Uh, and I tell him the scoop, and, really, and he's a believer. He's really just encouraging. He's trying to restore me. He can tell that I'm, you know, disappointed in myself, and he's like, man, it's going to be okay. Like, we're going to get back at it. And so you have to wait 30 days to take this test again, so I need all that time in the world to study, so I, I try to use it. I try to study I get back to the testing center, 65%, 64 or 65, yeah, 1% lower. It was, I did worse the second time is the extent of that story. So your boy's getting nervous, and even thinking about it now, it kind of is weird. I call AW, he tells me, man, I'm willing to help you. Like, I'm here for you, I, like, I will bear this burden with you, and I'm like, man, I'm okay, like, I'll, I'll be okay. I got tests, right? Great test taker. And so you have to wait 30 days to take it again. So I should get back to studying. And, and A.W. checked in on me every single day for the next 30 days. He tried to help. He tried to bear my burdens, and I didn't let him. I was defeated from failing twice in a row. And for those next 30 days, I probably studied like four times total, maybe four hours total. What I did is I binged video games, I played golf a lot, and A.W. would call me, and I'd be out on the golf course, and he'd be like, hey, man, like, how's, how's studying going? Like, you learning stuff? And like, 
you know, I'm like swinging. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm studying right now. You know, I'm, I'm really like, I'm working hard. I'm learning a lot. He's like, okay, man, that's great. And I hang up the phone. Just lie. I probably lied to him 20 times in 30 days. Go back to the testing center. Take the test. 71%. Somehow I did better. Not 75%. If you fail it three times in a row, you have to wait six months to take it again. And so I am just down. I can't believe like what I've done. I just realized I've made terrible after terrible decision. I've lied and lied over and over again. AW, I don't need your help. And, and it took me a couple days to get back to him and tell him that I failed. And really at the end of a rope, after more binging, after all of that, end of my rope emotionally, physically, spiritually, I asked AW to meet with me and I said, I walked into his office, I closed the door behind me, and through tears, I told him that I failed, and I also told him that I had lied to him dozens of times, that I had been studying, that when he had called, that I had lied to his face. I just laid it all right there in front of him, and an AW, as a follower of Jesus, he thought for a while, probably sorting through all the crap I just dumped right in front of him, he taught me a lesson that I will always remember, and he quoted 1 Peter 5. It says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, so I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, A.W. is just going to retaliate. Man, A.W. is going to just, like, teach me a new lesson. He is going to absolutely give me what I deserve but what he just said, he said, Luke, you isolated yourself. He said, your, your sin of lying to me and not being truthful to me, you know, it, it, maybe it hurts me a little bit, but it's, it, it opposes God. Like God's opposed to that kind of pride, to that kind of selfishness, to that kind of being deceived yourself and ignoring him. He said, Luke, God opposes the proud, meaning that when we are prideful, when we're willingly choosing to think of ourselves too highly, to ignore others around us. It's like God has his hand out. Like this, the stand is, is you, and, and my hand is, is God's hand. He's got his hand out. And you can't, you can't see God. You can't experience his face and his favor. And, and because it's your, you're proud, you're prideful, and you're going after other things, so you don't experience good from God. You're going after sin and bad things. And God, it's, it feels like God's got his hand out. And he, he might nudge you a little bit. He might smack you a little bit. Say, hey, man, you're, you're being prideful. I'm trying to discipline you, trying to show you the way. But what happens as soon as you humble yourself before God, as soon as you come to him uh, in humiliation at the end of your rope and you say, God, this is it. Uh, this, is what, this is the truth. This is who I am. This is where I'm at. This hand of God that is against you goes like this. He is so for you in that moment. He wants to just give you so many good things. He, he says, thank you for humbling yourself before me. Thank you for th believing that I am a good God that can be approached and you can bring your stuff to and you can trust me with your burdens and all of your sin and all of your trespasses. I am that God who is good to you and wants to be good to you and is for you. Here I am. Come to me. Let me love you and serve you and honor you and build you up and, and raise you up and restore you. I want to restore you, mend you, lift you, and give you spiritual life. That's what God wants to do. He can't do it when we're proud. But man, will he do it 
when we're humble. Long story short, A.W. met me in that moment of humility on the other side of my pride and nastiness and sin, and he offered me a job for six months in a training program so I could pass that test when the, when the time came around. I did pass the test. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Great, Luke. You got a job. The amazing thing about that is A.W. just obeyed and lived out Galatians 6. I will never read over this, or sorry, he, Galatians 6 and 1 Peter 5. I'll, I'll never read over those two passages the same again because the man lived it and believed it. He drew me in, pointed me to Jesus. What an example. What an example of how to live this out. We ought to follow. We ought to, we ought to return the favor. We ought to do the same for others around us. For the sake of time tonight, we're, we're going to get to the party, get to the luau here in a second. And get a chance to practice these things. I hope that you guys meet one another, you look for community, you seek it out, you talk to one another. We're going we're gonna to go over a couple of the next verses quickly. So join me, verse 6. It says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. The assumption being that all would be taught the Bible, all would be taught the word. We all need to be taught the word, and then when we're taught, we should share good things with that person. If someone invests the word of God into you and teaches you how to live it out, they deserve so much, man. What a worthy work they are called to. And this is not me, this awkward coming from me here on stage, you know, trying to teach you guys the word of God. This is not saying, hey, give me your money. That's, that, that's not what this is saying, and I, and I don't want it. This is saying, man, if someone teaches you the word of God, they deserve to be blessed by you in return. Bless them in any way that you can. Verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But to the one who sows to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Meaning you can't play games with God. You can't laugh at God. You can't mock God. You can't hide from God. He knows all of your stuff. He knows all of your brokenness. And you say, God, I did that one good thing. Like, I should reap something really good. He knows all of the stuff. He knows you've reaped all this sin and corruption. He knows it all. You can't fool him. And while God might, he might delay punishment and consequences of your sin for a time, it is a very dangerous place to be to not trust God and look to him for forgiveness. There is no more dangerous place that you could be in this life right now. To be in a spot where you are destined for hell and separation from God because you won't trust him with your stuff and believe in him. That's the most dangerous spot. Do not play games. Play, don't play games with God. It says, whatever you sow, whatever you will reap. It's a farming illustration, so you guys know it. Some of y'all are from western Kansas. If you plant corn, corn comes up. You plant wheat, wheat comes up. This is, it's, it's a simple, simple illustration. And it's true spiritually. If you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. And if you sow sin and selfishness, things God does not commend and that he opposes, you'll reap corruption. God is not mocked. He is faithful to bring about the fruit 
of blessing, of walking in obedience and faithfulness to him. He will do it. That leads us to point number three. A real community doesn't grow weary of doing good. Read with me, verse nine and 10. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially those who are of the household of faith. Do not grow weary, don't give up, remain faithful and commit. And be honest, just as, just as a, just a truth and a challenge of working with young adults and being a young adult, it's not a strength of this room to be someone who doesn't grow weary and commits. It's not, it's not something any generation's ever been amazingly strong at, but we as a generation can be really bad at it. Few commit, many grow weary. This phrase, grow weary, in biblical times, it was, it was really used to talk about the sort of uh, fear and, uh, and weariness that a woman experiences in childbirth. During labor, before delivery, I hear it's really hard. Y'all have probably heard it too. It's really hard. It's extremely painful. But the pain being present means that the work's unfinished and the reward hasn't come yet. And the baby is coming. It's, a, it's, a, it's in there. It's promise. And it's going to come out. And that's what Paul means, that when, if we grow weary and we give up obeying God or trying to be faithful to him or pursuing him, it's like you're a mother who just gave up while she's about to give birth to her child. Like, it's silly. Some of y'all are making faces like, that's stupid. It is stupid. It's hard, but the, the mom, she presses on, and she knows what's coming, and she, she pushes that baby out. And that's what's going to happen for us. When we sow spiritually, and we do it patiently, and we endure, and we don't grow weary, God is going to bring the blessings of eternal life into our life. We will reap if we do not give up. This is the truth of following Christ, of finding a real community. It's gonna be difficult. You might say, man, it's been a year. I've been at the block for a year. I've been going to Journey or Lenexa Baptist for a year, and I mean, I just don't feel like I've got it. I don't feel like I have that community. Keep sowing. Keep sowing to the Spirit. Keep walking faithfully. It's a promise that we will reap if we do not grow weary. It might take two years. It might take three years. It takes people years sometimes, but man, it is worth it when you walk faithfully and obey God. He's gonna bring that beautiful harvest of righteousness and peace so that you can be a part of this community that restores and bears one another's burdens. That last verse there, it says, let us do good to everyone and especially those of the household of faith, meaning that the Christian's disposition towards all people should be to do good to them, not to do bad to them. That we should love all people. Christians should be known because they love all people. Yes, in the news we hear all sorts of things for Christians and there's Christians who call themselves Christians that fail at this. And they maybe aren't Christians or they just fail at it. You're gonna fail at it as a Christian. But do good to all people. That is the call here and especially to those of the household of faith. That word household right there, it means Blood brothers or blood sisters. It's like, it's like they're your family and it's because they are. 
If they're a Christian, they are a son or daughter of Jesus. And your whole family may not believe in Jesus, your, your, your earthly family, but you are just as much a spiritual family with every person in the room who believes and trusts in Jesus. So you ought to treat them like it. You ought to treat them like their family. You bear one another's burdens with your family, don't you? That guy's struggling financially, you, you flip him a few bucks. You know, like, like you, you, you bear each other's burdens and you come to each other for restore, to restore one another. You say, man, my mom's really hurting over here. My sister's really hurting over here. The same thing is true of your spiritual sister. I mean, you, you prioritize them. You go over to them. You say, you're my brother and sister. Like, like, we're committed. We're devoted to one another. We are a family. You are mine. I am yours for forever. We are Christ's. Just communicate that to them. And be there for them. Some applications tonight. Uh, we've got a screen for it before we close here. The band, y'all can come up uh, if, if you're ready to come up. First application is commit to a local church. Commit to a local church. It is nearly impossible to obey these commands if you're not committed to a local church. It's the design of the local church. It's not designed to be this institution that is like better than the other local church in the, in the area. It is designed so that you can follow Jesus and live out these commands without committing to people. I don't know how you can bear anyone's burden. If you're not committed to them, how can you bear someone's burden? How can you be a part of restoring people? And how could you be restored if you're flip-flopping between churches? between communities. Commit to a local church, and second, you saw that, commit to a community. This isn't a separate place, but ideally within that local church that you're committed to. And you gotta have these people that know you and that you know so that you can be a part of restoring them, they can be a part of restoring you, and you can carry heavy things in life together. Let me pray for us that we'd be people who live this out. God, thank you for your word. And, and I pray against the trends in this room. They're schemes of the devil is what they are. There is an enemy and he is at work and he is causing these trends. He's the God of this world and he's causing things to go in a certain way that are away from you, that aren't towards eternal life or reaping spiritual good. God, you've got to help us. God, we need you to fill our hearts and souls and minds with truth. God, because our, our own hearts and our own desires are even at war with your ways too. The world around us and our hearts are desperately sick. And God, we need you. Even if we know you right now in this room, we need you. The temptation is always there. And as soon as there is something good for us to walk into, there's also evil lurking right around the corner. And God, so we need you in every moment. God, thank you for Christ. God, that he made a way for us to have a relationship with you that we can walk by the spirit, be people that have community. But we don't have to do this life alone. We don't have to bear everything ourselves. We don't have to be anything special. But we just have to trust in you. God, convince us of that and let us cling to that. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.